Hey guys, Jeff here from besttechie.com, and this is Techie Bytes episode 25. Today I'm speaking with Nick Chromitis, co-founder and CEO at Hunt Club. We discuss how he's building a brand new type of recruiting company and how the Midwest is becoming a better place for entrepreneurs. Enjoy. This podcast is supported by Wix.com. With Wix, you can create your own professional website. Choose a template you love or start from scratch, drag and drop to customize anything, and use advanced design features like video backgrounds and image galleries. You can even add professional business solutions like an online store, booking system, or blog. I've personally tested and reviewed Wix on Best Techie and can say without a doubt that Wix is extremely easy to use and a great choice for both novice and advanced users. So go ahead, try it yourself. Go to Wix.com and create your own website today. That's Wix, W-I-X.com. I'm here with Nick Chromitis, the one of the co-founders and CEO of a company called Hunt Club. He is a pretty awesome guy from from the brief time that I've spent talking with him. He also has a labradoodle named Tucker, Australian labradoodle, uh, which sounds awesome. Is that a pretty big dog? You know, they're they're different sizes of breed. Jeff and excited to be here. Um, so Tucker's <laughs> about thirty pounds, so he's a medium. Nice. I if, see. I really <laughs> want a dog. Friend. If I I have two cats who I love dearly, or who are the greatest, you know pets I could ask for, but I, I always wanted a dog, mostly I think because my my dad would never let me get one. So I, I just want one so badly, but I feel like I want like a really big dog. <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta get one now, it's great. I get to build this business by day and night and, and hang out with my pup when I get home. So it's uh, it's fun. Nice. So tell, tell, uh, tell everyone a little bit about who you are and what you're building. Give us some background and then we'll, uh, we'll dive into some more of the nitty gritty uh, of it. Yeah. Yeah. So as you mentioned, um, Nick Ramitas, co-founder and CEO of, of the Hunt Club. And and really what we're building is a new category of talent firm. So what we do is we leverage technology, a network of well-connected people, we call them influencers and in service to help our customers get the best talent possible. So what that means is our technology powers a referral process from you know hundreds of well-connected people, executives, connectors, investors. So and refer great talent to our partner companies. I'm based in um, based in Chicago, Portland, Chicago, Illinois. We have customers and partners all across the country, and and up to close to forty people now full time. Nice. Well, that that's see the recruiting industry is one which we're gonna we're we're gonna talk a little bit more about in a minute. In a minute, but it's uh, to me it's always seemed like a very uh, I I want to say cutthroat, but also like. The, the methods that people use uh, to find talent, you know, just seem to, you know, kind of like throwing spaghetti on a, on the wall and see what sticks type of thing. Yeah, um, I love that and, analogy. <laughs> so, I, 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 and from after talking with one, uh, your other your other co-founder, uh, he was kind of filling me in that you had um, done a lot of you know recommend recommending of of people for particular roles when, when other firms companies came to you and say hey you know we're, we're looking to hire someone do you know anyone and he was telling i believe you made like 30 or so recommendations or that turned into you know eventual roles for these people and and you know there was no you know aside from you know you helping out another uh, fr- another startup or a friend who's running a business 
Um, there's no real upside for you, right? Like, what? Why, why did you decide to build Hunt Club? Yeah, I mean, I think the story is is dead on, which somebody shared last time. Where essentially, it was 2014. I was running something called New Coast Ventures, where I'm still a partner at, just just not doing it full time anymore. And and recruiters always ask me for introductions to people in my network. They'd see I'd be connected on LinkedIn and say, Nick, you know, do you mind connecting me to Jeff? I see you're connected. I've got this opportunity. And sharing an opportunity with somebody is just a, it's always a nice gesture. There's nothing intrusive about it. People always have the opportunity to say, no, you know, really, I really appreciate it, but not really looking right now. So always willing to do it. And what I inevitably found out is I just placed tons and tons of people through this process. And I would get an email back 90 days later from that person that I, that I introduced to the recruiter saying, you know, Gene, thanks so much for the introduction. I would have never actually looked at this opportunity had it not come from you and obviously our relationship and I trust you. And then I just started thinking to myself, well, if, if recruiters can't access this type of talent because they haven't built out these networks yet. And the reason why this person looked at the opportunity was because of my relationship. You know, there has to be a better model to get talent to the table. So that was sort of the, the initial idea of, of how Hunt Club started. And I think the other part of it was, you know, after I placed all these roles, I basically got a couple bottles of wine. And so I love wine, like having, and I wasn't doing it for money. Like it, what, the idea of making money off of this is, is not something that like, you know, anything, anything even our team or we're set up or our influencers really care about. But like, since there's such a large market value for these types of relationships and placements, you know, we believe the best way to do things is to pay it forward, which is why we incentivize our network. Right. No, I mean, that makes perfect sense to me. In fact, when I was talking to, to Sami before, uh, I, I was saying how like, you know, I, I could see people doing this, you know, not, 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 not for the money. I mean, sure, I guess if there was some money in it, that'd be nice. But, you know, even if, you know, other people may just donate that money to a particular cause or something, you know, yeah. um, it's not because it's not it's not really the end game. Right. It's not like you're building uh, a business out of placing people, although I guess potentially you could. <laughs> um, but and then I guess, you know, you would kind of be like a sub club, con, you know, person, uh, like a contractor almost. Uh yeah, in a, weird, in a weird way. <laughs> no, I mean, I think you're, you're dead on. It's, it's people do this because it's part of their behavior and the fabric of their behavior. The fact that we can incentivize people now with real money is a great engagement tool to get them to participate in our network. But it's not the reason why people do it. Right. Um, but for us, it's an amazing way to trade value, build loyalty and brand ambassadorship with our influencer group. And really help incentivize people to work hard with their networks to, to get their network into a great spot. So we, you know, we're a big believer in the model and um, excited to continue to grow it. Cool. So I want to I want to change gears slightly, talk a little bit about the industry at large, and uh, some you know I, I would love to hear from you what you think some of the most challenging things are about the recruiting industry right now, uh, yeah. and, and, and how and how can they be kind of fixed. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's challenges across every spectrum, you know, from their business model to their their capex or their investment structure and how they invest in innovation to how they think about using digital to how they actually train and enable talent. Like it's just it's one of those industries where traditionally people have made so much money that nothing ever really had to be challenged. The status quo never really had to be touched. And I'll give you a couple examples for that. So if you look at a lot of the large recruiting firms, um, you know some of your premier retained firms, and ask them to take a look at their technology, it's archaic. 
it looks like databases that have been built in like the late 1980s. <laughs> and so, so yeah, so it's, that's, you know, the other part of this is they have these massive cushy corner offices and these incredible buildings. And, and, you know, they've got multiple folks in their team and all of this is infrastructure and cost, you know, from that doesn't really need to be there. And I think the other part of this is, is since, you know, a lot of these larger firms are run as true partnership models. So they're private companies that are run as partnerships. None of the partners want to actually take the money that they're theoretically making and invest in infrastructure. So invest in better technology, invest in innovation. And I think the, the catch 22 is if you look at the actual margin that these large retained recruiting firms make in their business, it's so razor thin that even the operating entity can't invest in innovation or invest in new structure. So it's, it's, it's basically like the business has its hands tied behind its back because they don't make enough margin to truly invest. And the partners at these firms have no incentive to invest because they want every dollar for themselves or for their peer class. And so a lot of these companies are really in between a rock and a hard place. They're going to struggle in the next five to 10 years unless they can figure out how to deploy cash towards innovation. And, um, you know, it's sort of like someone's running against the wall and they're going to hit it going at 100 miles per hour because it's, you know, you've got a business that doesn't have money to invest in innovation and you have partners that don't want to invest in innovation. And, and you put those two things together in the future forward. And so I think that's, the, if you look at the retained part of the business, that's a big part of, you know, what's happening in the industry. Now, if you look at the contingency part of the industry, so really, you know, companies that are essentially taking 22,000-year-old kids, and contingency is the business model where you're going to work with my firm, you're not going to pay me anything until I place the role. So if you look at a lot of these businesses, what they're primarily doing is just arbitrage and low-cost labor. So they're finding kids at school that are making twenty-two thousand dollars a year, eighteen to twenty-two grand. They're paying them a draw, and they know that if they place one role, um, they're paying themselves back. And so I think the really interesting thing about that model is is it doesn't really command any type of service level. You know, you have a twenty-two-year-old working on a VP of marketing search for a five hundred million-dollar company when that kid doesn't know anything about marketing. So right. you know. Where we really try and sit is playing the best of both worlds, where we can offer world-class service, um, you know, at a reasonable price because we don't have these cushy corner offices, we don't have this infrastructure. Our our company and the folks in our company can do incredibly well financially, but they're not. They don't need to make millions of dollars because the value of the service, in theory, shouldn't be millions of dollars. But the flip side of that. You know, we build great technology to help power the process and get amazing people to the table. So really drawing the wisdom in the crowd. So I think we try and really blend technology, referral networks, and incredible service to try and really do things differently and, uh, and plan to continue to invest aggressively to do so. Right. So so how – so you talk about technology and, you know, and, and the lack of innovation at some of these, you know, larger, um, you know, older uh, recruitment – firms out there and and you've and you've come in you've kind of shaken up the entire model saying we don't need to hire nearly as many people we don't need the corner office we don't need the 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 best building in new york city or chicago or whatever um we just need to have really great technology and 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 you know and good people working on building the best product and then investing more time in getting the, the the absolute best uh, people who have the best networks on board, right? 
Yeah, yeah, that's that's done. I mean, I think the way that I think about it is really three different things. So first, recruiting's day to day is a lot of monotonous manual behavior that doesn't need to be there that technology can automate. So we think about how to give our, our team and our recruiters the best in class tool set so they can really do one thing, focus on creating great relationships with their candidates and their clients. So take out all the heavy lifting off their plate. And the second thing we think about doing is how do you give access and get access to the best talent? So the best recruiters have built and cultivated a network for you know tens, if not for decades. So since we're leveraging referrals, and this great network effect, we can actually power those same relationships for our team and access them quicker using our technology. And I think the final thing is really is really going deeper and understanding our clients and, and making sure that we can really be the best service providers for them and caring more. And I think, you know, you look at today, today's world of how people set up their business model, fully retained search means that you're gonna pay me regardless of how I do. And then contingency search means you're not gonna pay me unless I place a role. And we don't think either of those behaviors are aligned with driving the best result. So I think we really try and create a little bit of a different mousetrap where we can offer our customers and our partners amazing talent, reasonably priced with exceptional tools that power our process. Gotcha. So one of the things you know you were just talking about was technology and innovation. But one of the words I haven't heard you say just yet, so I'm curious as to how it pertains to what you're doing is AI. Is it, how important, I guess, is AI go, uh, going to be in, in the recruiting industry? To, uh, if it's not today, in, in the future, and if it is today, how how is it being used? Yeah, yeah. So incredibly important. So if you look at recruiting software and technology, I think notoriously it's probably about ten to fifteen years behind sales and marketing. And so if you look at a lot of the software platforms today um, that are in recruiting, or excuse me, in sales and marketing. They're light years ahead of what people in recruiting are using. But if you also think about like what recruiting fundamentally is, it's driving interest either in an outbound sales process in a conversation, or it's driving interest inward through a great marketing exercise, you know, employer brands, referrals, so on and so forth. So it's really it's a lot of the same concept. So, you know, for us, we think artificial intelligence is going to be incredibly important. We try and leverage it to really do two to three things. One, tell us who the best person is for a job or an opportunity. Two, the best time and message and interaction to reach that person. And three, tell us who the best person is connected to that person to refer us. And so through those three things, you know, we think we can get a leg up in competition because we're really leveraging artificial intelligence to, to give us real-time insights in what's happening in the market, what's happening with people's connections and how we can leverage that to get people to the door. Mm -hmm. So, so in terms of, in terms of, let's say, um, I don't know, I, I've applied to, I mean, I'm sure we've all, you know, you've applied to jobs in the past. I've applied to jobs in the past. Everyone who's listening has probably applied to a job in the past at some point. <laughs> um, what, you know, there are a lot of systems out there and I don't want to name any names but I'll just do it. Uh, Talio, for example, is like one of the worst job application systems I've seen in my entire <laughs> life. Um, and, and <laughs> it's just so bad. Um, yeah. But what, So I mean, sh sh I guess what I'm getting at is, is should, uh, when it comes to AI being introduced into the mix, and I think, you know, to be fair, I think this is also even the case, you know, it's now you have 
you have all these uh, hiring managers and, and firms, recruitment firms. You know, if you're if you're submitting a resume or whatever, um, using technology to some degree to to scan resumes and things like that. Um, I get I what I, so I, what I'm curious about to and what I want to ask you is how. Uh, how does AI make that better for, for the candidate um, who is looking to kind of break through, uh, you know, and be noticed or recognized as a potential good fit for a particular role? Yeah. So, you know, starting with the first part of the question, job applications, like we think the job board's relatively broken. It's, um, you know, you get hundreds and hundreds of applications. Very rarely are any actually a good fit. So I think artificial intelligence can help really understand which profiles out of the hundreds and hundreds are actually worth talking to and reaching out to um, so that you can kind of separate and save, you know, hundreds or if not thousands of hours of your recruiting teams in a fast growing environment's time, you know, literally just sorting through resumes. So I think artificial intelligence is a great way to leverage in that instance. And I think you can think about it in a number of different ways as well. So you can think about it in how to, how do you, understand who in your company has the best relationship with someone so you have a higher probability of them reaching out you know how do you understand what messaging and what you know what subject line and, and what type of communication patterns you should use to get someone's interest so i think it's you know really the the best recruiting companies of the future the best software companies in the future and think about how to use every single step in a, in the entire you know value chain mm-hmm. in the entire workflow so I'm curious to um, get your kind of thoughts on this in terms of based on what you've seen and what, you know, from, from, you know, being in this space and, and having hired people and, 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 and work, you know, been, and been in business for a long time, uh, what would you say are some of the most important skills and traits for, you know, job seekers today? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, if you think about some key statistics, Unemployment's at an all-time low. It's it's south of four percent. So it's it's for the first time, you know, job seekers can be really, really picky and cheesy about what they want to do next. So I think the the most important thing I think is really assessing the culture and the the company that you want to join, and and really doing your diligence on the company as much as the company is doing their diligence on you. You know, I think in a in a buyer's market right now, which it is. Meaning that you know candidates really have their pick of the land of what companies they want to join. It's really important for a, for a buyer to make sure that whatever they do next is the right next step because they're likely leaving a pretty good situation. So I think it's it's really aligning themselves towards the company's mission and values, the executive team, the 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 cadence and the momentum of the business, the actual concept or business in itself, and then the, and the culture and the working environment. And, and making sure there's clear priorities around what someone's doing on a day-to-day basis, and it all aligns to what they want to go in their career progression. So I think it's really, it's really a number of things. So in terms of, you know, I, I, I mean, I get that, and that makes a lot of sense to me. And I, I, I think, you know, I'm curious if, you know, be, because you're, you're in this space, and, and, and you focus on employment and, and, and all the things that go with it. I'm curious if what your take is on kind of like people who have kind of, uh, let's say, given up on their employment search. Are it or, you know, are we, are we really at, let's say, under 4% unemployment, would you say? Or do you think it's probably maybe 5 6% uh, if you take into consideration people who have potentially given up on looking for an employment, uh, for employment, 
you know, or in finding, or they're underemployed or something. Yeah, you know, I, honestly, I wish I had more data on that insight. We have to rely on the same kind of polls and reports as everybody else. But yeah. What I can tell you is the feedback in the market is is one where where people are in a good spot in today's recruiting landscape. Unless you have something to jar them into really looking at an opportunity and getting them breaking their focus of their day to day or their life, it's really difficult to get someone to pay attention. And it, I think it's because of you know, for the first time, companies have great perks and benefits. They're thinking about retention because they can't afford to lose people. Um, and they're really thinking about how to create a great culture and environment for employees to work in. So, yeah. to me, to me, I, I believe the statistics. I think we're in a place right now where, where we've got a ton of money and private money. And, and you know, I think that today we're in the longest, I read this in the news, we're in the longest bull run in the history of the stock market which means that there's a ton of cash being deployed against investing in infrastructure and innovation and, and growth across different companies, which means that jobs come and naturally are followed. So I think it's, you know, I believe it. Definitely. I, I, you know, I think you make some great points there. I, 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 uh, I, I've read the same things and, uh, you know, I'm just curious from your take, considering you're in, their, in the recruitment industry, if, if that's what you've seen. I, one of the things I, I guess I want to just prod on, prod on a little bit more is, so in terms of the people who, let's say, are, are, are in a job, uh, oppor- you know, uh, opportunity comes up there, it's presented to them, what, what, what kind of things do companies need to, 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 to do to kind of like, you know, you know um, entice these, 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 uh, these, these prospective employees uh, to leave their current job and go to them? Uh, is I, I would assume money is not just is not is not you know the only thing or is you know that 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 needs to be better. Um, yeah. Maybe you know maybe even money alone is not enough. You know I think it's it's money isn't the number one driver anymore. I think it's really matchmaking experience. You know you look at the executives of tomorrow, so folks that are really kind of hitting their stride right now in their early thirties, late early forties. And in their careers, they want great career opportunities where they can build and feel like they're impacting something, which is why you're seeing such a revelation in, uh, in people joining technology startups or, or shifting from investment banking and private equity and, and finance and consulting to go build a company. And I think with that comes a lesser paycheck and more risk and more hours of work. So I think it's, you know, companies need today give, need to give the promise of being able to build something really let their employees meaningly feel like their work is impacting results. Mm-hmm. And I think more so than anything else in the market, that's the most important thing. Because if you can get someone great to listen to your opportunity, but it's just focused on money or title, you know, it's just not going to be enough in today's landscape. So we really think about you know, getting someone's attention using referrals, and then once we have their attention, really learning about what they want as a candidate, almost being more of a talent agent. So sort of like the Ari Gold of recruiting. We can <laughs> really understand what they want, what they need, who they are, who their family is, you know, what look the great steps in their next step for their career trajectory, and then really make sure that the opportunity you have is that fit. Because if it's gotcha. not, you're going to be doing a customer disservice and you're going to be doing a candidate disservice because it's not going to work because there's mm-hmm. so many opportunities out there. So we're really right. trying to nail the exact right fit. Right. No, I, I think you're. I think you hit the nail on the head there. I want to change gears a little bit uh, and talk about 
the Midwest. I, you guys are, uh, as we I think we mentioned a little bit earlier, are headquartered in Chicago. Um, and the Midwest has slowly uh, become a better place to start a company, a tech company. How, and you've been you've been there for a, quite a while. How has the region changed over, changed over time? Let's say the past five to ten years uh, to make it better for entrepreneurs who are yeah. who are looking yeah, to start it's, companies. It's fun. So I think if you look at what's happening. Is you know there's a couple really interesting trends happening. So the first is that we have more capital in the Midwest. Venture investors, angel investors, um, you know, dads and uncles writing checks, and wives and husbands and and aunts writing checks than we've ever had in our life because people are are sensationalizing the success of technology companies and it's creating interest everywhere. So so the first key trend is we have more capital than we've ever had here, which allows companies to really have the jet fuel that they need to to grow fast. So the second thing that's happening, I think, is really um, we're starting to actually get interesting acquirers. So if you think about what makes the, the 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 Silicon Valley or even some companies in New York a very successful startup landscape, is they have the full cycle of everything. So they have talent that can create companies, investors that can capitalize companies, and then they can have large technology companies like Google, Facebook, Amazon, so on and so forth, who can actually buy those businesses and and, and create wealth and and create the startup cycle, and you know, for every for every Facebook that goes public, you now all of a sudden created thousands of new angel investors that can really spread through an ecosystem. So I think we're starting to get more and more of that. So as we get larger tech companies, and even more so as large enterprises for the first time need to think about digitally transforming their business, um, they're looking at tech startups to help play a part there. So I think the last thing that we really need in the Midwest is actually talent. So we have a lot of amazing talent that knows how to start a company and take it to a certain traction point, but we don't have nearly the wealth or a depth of Rolodex of seasoned operators that know how to grow their business from one to 100 million or five to 20 million or 20 million to 200 million. You know, so that's really the key piece to what we need next is great talent that's coming back from you know San Francisco because they don't like paying $7,000 a month for a 1,000 square foot bedroom. People that have built and scaled these companies for the first time are starting to think about, you know, I've lived in the valley from I was 22 to 37. I've got a wife, I've got two kids, or I've got a husband, I've got three kids. You know, I, I want to still build companies, but I don't want to do it in an environment where I'm sacrificing quality of life. So we're starting to see an influx of talent move back to the Midwest um, to build businesses to start to want to be a part of the next fast growing company when they've been there and done that before and, uh, and do it here. So I think that's the, the missing piece because well, I think we already have capital now. We're getting great investors to set up funds here in the Midwest. We're getting large companies to think about digital transformation for the first time. So they're going to be interesting in buying a lot of startups and businesses. And then uh, I think the next piece is just talent and it's going to take the next few years, but I feel really confident we'll get there. So. Give me, give me, give me a list of some of these companies that, that are that you're really excited about in the Midwest. Like, um, I mean, obviously one of the big ones that I think everyone's probably familiar with that went public was Groupon. Out, you know, <laughs> they were out in the Midwest. Who, who else? Who else is out there? And who, you know, who should we be keeping an eye on in that space? Yeah, I mean, I'll give you three or four customers that you guys should deaf customers of ours, but also companies that we should definitely be under radar. So G two Crowd, they're um. They're the Yelp for software and, and services. So basically, mm -hmm. in the same way that you can 
figure out what to buy or where to eat online. They do that for software and services. I think it's going to be one of the next largest companies in, in not just the Midwest, but the country. You know, that their, their, their CEO, Godard Abel, has openly said that they want to take their business public. And, you know, I think they're going to, they're on a massive uh, trend to do that right now, where they're just building their business and growing it dramatically. So I think they're an incredible data point of someone that's really doing amazing work. You know, one of our customers locally is someone called uh, is a business called ShipBob, and they basically power the, the the internet and commerce through all sorts of different transactions. So now, I just want to clarify that that was with a P, correct? ShipBob. Yeah, ShipBob. Uh. Ship <laughs> Good clarification. Yes. That would that that they would need some work on their branding if it was the <laughs> You know, now they give the ability to anyone to stand up e-commerce infrastructure from a shipping perspective instantly. So it's. You know, as the whole world starts to think about setting up their own online businesses, they can power that. And they're you know, they're based in Chicago. And another another great customer of ours is is a company called Everything But the House in Cincinnati. They've raised over a hundred million dollars in venture capital, and and they really power estate sales. Um, so the ability for for people to sell the items in their home seamlessly when they lose a loved one or they move out or downsizing. And I think it's they've created this incredible business as well. So I think, you know. We're, we're on the path right now to, to start building multi-billion dollar companies here. And you're starting to see some of the investments from five to seven years really pay off. Definitely. And I, I'm going to add one more to the list um, that I think we're both familiar with. A company called Cleverbridge in oh, the yeah. e-commerce space um, has built a phenomenal business um, and are doing extremely well and growing like crazy, also based in Chicago. Yeah, they're doing incredible things. My one of my business partners met their CEO. And I know that you're friends with them, but you know they're they're doing they're doing awesome stuff. And and I think it's it's we've got a great Rolodex of you know twenty to thirty companies that we can name on top of it. Companies like Perkspot, companies like Spot Hero, companies like you know Home Chef, mm-hmm. so on and so forth. The list really goes on and forth, on and on. So I think there's there's a lot of amazing innovation happening here, and I think we're excited to to do our part. So I have one more question for you before we get to our lightning round. Um, and it, first of all, Nick, it's been great speaking with you. I've really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, one of the things that I saw that you wrote about was creating a white glove talent process. Yeah. And I, I would love for you to kind of you know elaborate a little on what, what, what you meant by that. How can companies better streamline their recruitment processes? Um, and I, and I know I believe that you had like 10 rules that you that you outlined. I don't know if yeah, so kind of walk us through like what your what that means to you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean so I think like the reason why it's so important aside from, you know, wanting to treat people like people and make sure they have a great process is really in today's world like you need to have an amazing experience to actually land world-class talent. Um, because they have a lot of options as I mentioned. Mm-hmm. So, right. you know, we, we really think about doing things a couple different ways. So one, really educating candidates on the experience so they know what they're getting into and what the position is and and they have a great understanding of what the actual role is. You know, really true, like companies have a challenge of dropping their own ego. And I get this, I'm a startup founder, I'm, I'm the CEO of a company, but, but like when you're recruiting somebody, you're inviting them to be a part of your a guest in your business in your home. So make them feel that way. And I think too many companies make the mistake of taking the attitude. If they don't want to work there here, screw them. And we don't think that's the best way to do it. We think it's the op- you have an opportunity to share your brand and every interaction with you have someone. So make them inviting. Make them understand the process. Um, 
really, really understand it. You know, I think setting the schedule, like create an actual structure for what the process is. And I know this seems like a, a, a pretty standard one, but you'd be shocked at how many companies don't do this where they do not actually have a streamlined recruiting process. So set a process and tell a candidate or talent what that process is, really let them go through it. You know, I think... And, and, and if, I could, if I may, I, I would also yeah. like to just add one other thing to streamlining the recruitment process, but also make sure you have a streamlined onboarding process cannot be uh, under, is, is probably a little underrated too. You need to really take that seriously to make sure that your employee, that you, they, the, one that, the one that you just recruited and brought on, you know, has a good experience getting into the company, understanding all the software and things that they need to use and getting off on a good foot so they can, you know, hit the ground running. Totally. I think 100%. It's, it's just as, my, as much about getting people to the door and getting them through the building as it is once they're there, making sure they, they're successful and they stay. So I think that's a huge part of, you know, what we think about when we hire and build our own team and what we really encourage our customers to think about as well. Definitely. Um, so I think like other really blocking and tackling things, following up, making sure you let people know where they are in the process and how they're doing, breaking up when it's not a fit, telling them exactly where it went wrong and why, you know, why they're not able to join the company. And uh, really making sure you treat people like people. You know, it's, it's for some reason the recruiting industry has neglected this for years and, and we really hope that we can be an agent of changing that and creating transparency all the way through. Yeah, I, I hear you, and I I think treating people like people is, is is such a great piece of advice. Mostly because, you know, it's it's not it's unfortunately not done enough. Um, I you know having gone through the interview process uh, a bit somewhat recently, and I I, I I I let's say I knew the CEO at one company, and I was talking to his co-founder about potentially joining, and then and and it just was like this. I had to continue to follow up, follow up to hear back about a particular thing, and then they sent, and then this guy he sent me this like generic like like I don't even know you anymore, like oh we're 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 not we're not gonna move forward with you, and it was, it was like, I was like I was like I just didn't understand. I felt very um, insulted a bit considering the relationship that I had uh, with with the CEO at the company, and it just was. It just was kind of mind blowing how like how Im- uh, you know impersonal it was that message that email was, uh, and I, I I think I just if it was you know I just one thing I would like to see more from more companies like you're talking about during the recruitment process is more transparency along the way, and I think you know I think part of it uh, having gone through this recently maybe in maybe uh, the lack of transparency may be due to uh, concerns about lawsuits. And things of that nature, um, but I still think there's a better way to do it than what's currently being done for sure. All right, with you a million percent, hundred million percent. <laughs> well, Same that's page. good to hear. And since you're building the future of recruitment, I'm I'm really glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah. Well, we believe in the same things. It's got it's got to be a great experience. Absolutely. So, Nick, let's get let's get to the lightning round and. Yeah. Uh, the lightning round, of course, is supported by Wix, a help uh, a website that lets you create a professional-looking site. You can do that today at wix.com. That's wix.com. So, Nick, whenever you're ready, we'll get started. Fire away. All right, here we go. iOS or Android? iOS. Okay. 
most important characteristic a founder needs when starting a company? Resilience. That's a good one. And I, I, I'd say that's definitely in my top three. Uh, favorite travel destination? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, <laughs> that's a really hard one. I'm going to go with Vail, Colorado. I love to ski. Nice. I have a good story about um, me learning to ski over the course of a weekend. I'll tell it real quick. Um, so basically, I got invited to this investor um, uh, thing called Peak Pitch. And you basically pitch an investor on a ski ride, ski lift up the mountain. I had never skied before, and I, I wanted to be able to do it. You know, they, they rent out a room at the, at, the, at, the, at the place at Hunter Mountain in New York. They rent out this room. So you don't have to go skiing, but I figured I would, I would I want to try it. So I went to I went down I went to New Jersey and I learned how to ski over the course of like a three day weekend, and that's the only reason I learned how to ski. I, I think I skied once since then and that was about it. <laughs> you got taken in and out of it. I love it. Yeah, I mean, I, I it was fun. I think I would probably do it again. I just haven't had the opportunity. Anyway, we this gotta... is about you. This lightning round's about you. So we're gonna jump back. All right. So what's what like what's it. the the best genre of music in your opinion? Oh man, yeah, that's a that's a hard one. I'm all over the board from country to hip hop to uh, rap to classic rock. So right right now, I'd say I'm listening to a lot of uh, classic rock. Nice, Cla- can't go wrong with classic rock. I'm a I'm a huge fan of that as well. And the last one is is it should be a simple one, I think. Mac or PC? It sounds like I think I know, but. You, tell you me. got it. It's uh, we're Mac guys here. I've got a I've got a laptop, a MacBook, an iPad, and a, an iPhone all fired up at my desk. So, very much a Mac company. Nice. I'm I'm a Mac guy as well. I I went Mac in 2008. I haven't gone back. <laughs> I love it. You went Mac. They should make a slogan. You should you should go be marketing for Apple. That was a good one. I know. I thought I I thought that was a good one. I thought that was pretty clever when I when I thought of it two seconds ago. <laughs> went back and haven't gone back. Exactly. Well, Nick Chromitis has been wonderful having you on the podcast. I really appreciate it. You're welcome to come back anytime. Appreciate it. It was awesome hanging out with you and uh, excited to do it again soon, hopefully. Awesome. Yeah. And and if and if you want to give anyone um, who's who's listening who may want to get in touch with you your Twitter or email, feel free to feel free to provide that as well. Yeah, so I'm at Nick Kermitis on Twitter, and email is just nick at huntclub.com. So if anyone has any questions about what we're doing or how we're doing it, please do not hesitate. All right, Nick. Thanks again. I hope, I hope to speak to you soon. Thank you too, Jeff. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Techie Bites. Stay tuned for more episodes every Tuesday with awesome interviews and conversations about technology and business. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting the podcast at anchor.fm slash besttechie and or by leaving a rating interview on iTunes. Both ways help us greatly and are much appreciated. So thank you. Until next time, we'll see you. And remember, remember, take care of your computers.